Welcome to the Darlington Podcast, a production of Darlington School in Rome, Georgia. Join us as we take a look inside and outside our classrooms and connect with students, teachers, alumni, and more. I'm Frank Jr. Um, and I know a lot of people stand up here on this podium and they say uh, it's a pleasure and an honor, but it really is a pleasure and an honor to be here today uh, to introduce the recipient of the Darlington Distinguished Alumnus Award for 2021. Dr. Frank Stegall Sr. was born in Rome, the youngest child of uh, Darlington alum, Dr. Joe Stegall. He excelled academically, if not athletically as well, uh, during his time at Darlington and was among the first inductees into the Cum Laude Society during his final year prior to graduation. In an article speaking of his time at Darlington, he said, my classmates were some of the brightest individuals that I'd ever known. They set the bar high in our day, and it was cool to be smart. Darlington taught me that mediocrity was not acceptable and that hard work can overcome a heck of a lot of deficiencies. I've always been grateful to Darlington for instilling those values in me. He then graduated in the class of 1962 and pursued his further academic endeavors at Emory University for an undergraduate degree in psychology, and then on to Vanderbilt University Medical School in Nashville, he remained in Nashville for his medical residency with the exception of a two-year stint in the Navy during the Vietnam conflict, which took him to a naval hospital in southern Maine. He continu uh, continued study in his chosen field of cardiology, brought him back to Atlanta for his final years of training at Emory Hospital, after which he was recruited back to join the Harbin Clinic in Rome. And his day job for the next 38 years was caring for countless hearts in the Northwest Georgia region. As a man whose primary inclination is service toward others, he also spent many hours giving back to his community in other ways. He was a member of Leadership Rome and Leadership Georgia, the Rome Rotary Club, and a past president of Nine O'Clock Cotillion. However, were you to ask him his favorite outlet for service to others outside of his family, there's little doubt that Darlington tops that list. He first joined the Darlington Board of Trustees in the early 90s as his three children were beginning their journeys through the school. And that commitment to service continued through the ensuing decades, culminating in his election to the chairmanship of the board in 2009. During his tenure as chairman, he oversaw the execution of the largest capital campaign in the history of the school in excess of $90 million, which was dubbed the Second Century Campaign. He also oversaw strategic plans to critically reassess endowment, curriculum, missions, and operations. He had a keen understanding that the soul of the school lies in the quality of the students and the faculty that it attracts and retains. And he sought to solidify those assets in an ever-changing world. Sir Isaac Newton popularized the expression that many of you have heard over the years, if I have seen farther, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. I think it's appropriate as we celebrate Alumni Weekend at our alma mater this weekend that we recognize the giants who have come before us, many of whom Mr. Bell uh, announced earlier today, who have made this great institution into what we enjoy and benefit from today. Even more special today is the opportunity to celebrate a local boy who sat in these pews, grew in wisdom, service, and honor, and spent a great deal of his life working to ensure that many more in future generations have a similar opportunity. It's not often that we get to meet those giants and even more rare is the privilege of calling them dad. Welcome.
On behalf of the Alumni Council and the Board of Trustees, I present the uh, Alumni Association Distinguished Alumni Award to Dr. Frank Stegall. You overpower me. Good gracious. Thank you. Vicki wouldn't tell me who was going to introduce me, and uh, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't. Um, thank you all for being here. It's a wonderful occasion each year at the Darlington <clears throat> Alumni Weekend to hear this speech. Uh, thank you, Robert, and the Alumni Council for this recognition. I do not feel worthy of it, but I live, am grateful to receive it. Thank you also, Mr. Bell. Thank you for your many contributions to the school to make this a better place for all of us. And I especially welcome my family. It's so good to see you. Uh, we are a fourth generation family for Darlington, as been said. And I want to especially welcome my wife, Rebecca. Without her, I wouldn't be here. Everybody knows I married above myself in the Rome community, and I did indeed. <clears throat> Well, I've had through the uh, years that I've been associated with the school to hear varying alumni that are listed in the bulletin give the same speech from this podium. And though the times are different, the circumstances are different, there's a common theme that runs throughout all of them, and it's called transformation. They came here as one person, and because of the daunting experience, they left another. And that person that left was more able to do well in academia and in life. And they are very grateful for the school for that transformative experience. From that, they did well in their careers and were very appreciative. I'm honored to tell my Darlington story today. Before we get too hung up on this distinguished stuff, I must really tell you my early years at Darlington, which were really not very distinguished. <clears throat> my initial introduction to Darlington, uh, I guess, was at age 13, and I was about in the, going into sixth or seventh grade. I had been to the beach with a bunch of friends of mine, some of who are in the audience today, and there was a fad back in those days to bleach your hair a little bit. You put a little bit of hydrogen peroxide on the front of your hair, got out in the sun, and it was, uh, it, we thought it was cool. Well, my friends convinced me, why don't, we, why don't you just do a little bit more and do your whole head? And I thought, well, that sounds great. So for a week on the beach, I'd pour hydrogen peroxide on my head, and I ended up with this sort of platinum-y, yellowy, uh, blonde hair, which I guess I thought was cool, but who knows what a 13-year-old boy's thinking. I was in the, in the Zelle building up here in, uh, at the time to register for Darlington, and I was minding my own business when all of a sudden I felt someone grab my arm and pull me out of line with a good bit of force. And I turned around and looked, and I was looking square in the eyes of Mr. Yankee. 
Now, a lot of you all younger kids don't know Mr. Yankee. His portrait, I think, hangs somewhere around here. But I knew a couple of things about him that weren't good. <laughs> the first was that his nickname was Bull. Now, and I thought, that's not very good for me. And the second was, the word on the street was that you didn't want to mess with him and you didn't want him messing with you. He asked me who I was and I told him and he said he knew my parents. He said, you cannot enroll in Darlington School until you get your hair returned back to its normal color. Well, I didn't really know what that meant. I went home and told my mother and she promptly proceeds to call Miss Lottie at the Lindale Beauty Shop and tells me I'm gonna to have to have my hair dyed. Well, now I know unisex barber shops today are not uncommon, but in my day, guys went to barber shops, women went to beauty shops, boys didn't go to beauty shops. And especially not Miss Lottie's beauty shop in Lindale, because it was full of little ladies uh, that everybody knew everybody. <laughs> so here I was, a 13-year-old kid, marching in to Miss Lottie's beauty shop. There was no such thing as isolated stalls. It was all these chairs around the room. And there were all these women that had these things in their head that looked like football helmets. And uh, they were just absolutely enthralled that this young kid had to sit in there and have his hair dyed. Well, Miss Lottie proceeds to put this gooey, tarry looking, awful stuff on my head. And after, after a while and after enduring it all, I did have my hair restored back to normal. But it was one of the most humiliating experiences of my life. So that's how a distinguished alum starts his career at Darlington. <laughs> I'd like to talk to you a minute about the Darlington that we knew back in the 1950s and 60s. What was Darlington School like when I was here? It's far different from what it is today. I graduated in 1962, which makes me probably the oldest guy in this room, even older than Mr. Moss, if y'all think that's possible. <laughs> um, Darlington was a very different physical plant at that time. We had no Thatcher Hall. We had no Huffman Center. We had no library building. We had no girls' houses because we had no girls. We had no Zelly building, it was called the Porter building, and consisted of the classrooms that you all use today. We had a very different student body. We were all male and we were all Caucasian. There was no lower school. The school started in the sixth grade and the sixth to the eighth grade was known as the lower forms and the, eighth, uh, the ninth through the twelfth was known as the upper forms. The tuition at the year that I graduated from Darlington was $600 a, day, a year. Far different from today, and the, the tuition for boarders was $1,850. There was a real distinction between the day and boarding students. It was real easy to tell because the boarding students wore dark socks with their penny loafers, and the day students wore white socks with their penny loafers. And the, you've heard the terms day dogs and dorm dirt. Well, that's certainly was the, the case for us. We went to school on Saturday and we were off on Monday. Kind of crazy. The faculty consisted of 33 men, all male. And you've heard many of these names, Judd, Wright, Moser, and Register, and Summerbell. 
But we had some interesting characters that you probably have not heard the name of before. One of which was a man named Mr. George Dorsey. Mr. Dorsey taught us science in the lower forms, and he looked like kind of a combination of Barney Fife from Andy Griffith Show and Jiminy Cricket. If you can put those two together, <laughs> that would be Mr. Dorsey. He was a wiry, little thin guy that had big bug eyes and had a big hat that he wore. And he called everybody Sonny Bud. I don't know why in the world he called us Sonny Bud, but he did. He was the smartest person we knew. There was not a plant or a critter that we could pull out of the lake that when we presented it to Mr. Dorsey, that he did not know the biological name of it and could tell us about its life cycle. And he had a unique ability to write very small, and he took a dried butter bean and wrote the name of every 15, all 15 people in my, our class on that dried butter bean. Now, that may not sound like much, but you try it and see if you can do it. <laughs> we loved him and we loved his eccentricities. There was a Mr. John Paul King who taught us Bible in the lower school. Right in the ground, what you, there that you all call the ground today. He made the Bible come to life for us in his class, and we loved him. He was a rather frail man and walked with a cane, and you, but he had a twinkle in his eye, and he had some magic in him. His greatest trick was to shake your hand, and he would shake it so hard, you would beg him to let you go. You wouldn't believe that a man that old had a grip strength that high. We figured there must be something in that Bible that gave him that strength. We loved him and his class as well. And then there was Mr. Robert Cobb. Mr. Cobb taught Latin, which was not everybody's favorite subject, as you might imagine. And he called everybody speed. Speed was the word he called. Again, I have no idea why. Nothing generated more fear in you than to have him call on you. And he... You had to translate one of Marcus Aurelius' letters from Latin into English. He would always call on you by saying, read for us, speed. He also coached us football, and he could be a little earthy at times, and I, I was not particularly athletically gifted, and he could not get me to get the mechanism of throwing a baseball correct. My arms and legs just didn't quite get right. He finally got a little frustrated and yelled out, son, just lift your leg like a dog does when it relieves itself on a fire hydrant. <laughs> That's how you do it. And I said, Coach, I got it. Thank you very much. <laughs> he was a short man in stature, but big in presence, and we loved him as well. <clears throat> we didn't have many of the facilities that you have today, so what did we have at Darlington those many years ago? Three things stand out in my mind right now. The first of these is that 33 male faculty members. They taught us in the classroom and they taught us on the playing fields. These men were knowledgeable about their fields of expertise and were passionate about teaching. More importantly, they cared about us. They knew us, they knew our names, and they were interested in our progress. And they were approachable. You could go to them at any time. But they pushed us. They pushed us hard. There was no such thing as food spoon feeding. And certainly there was no regurgitation of facts back on a test that would be acceptable. 
They made us think. They made us think critically. And they challenged us to write convincingly. They made us make an argument and be able to defend it. They also taught us a scientific method. Importantly, they invested themselves in us and we didn't want to disappoint them. They impacted us and we still talk about them today whenever we reminisce. A friend of mine once said, and I think it's so true, that very few of us can remember our teachers that we had in college and beyond. But we still remember these men that taught us some 59 years ago at Darlington. They made that big an impact on us. These were good men, men of substance, men of character, and excellent teachers. And they had distinctive personalities. I must confess, after many years of completing medical school and training and coming back to Rome, I was asked to be a Darlington trustee. And every time I would come to the school for a meeting, I would get this knot in my stomach, like, have I really done everything that Mr. Register or Mr. Dormany told me to do? Because <laughs> I did not want to disappoint them. This was after having left the school for some 15 years before. The second thing that stands out to me during those years was the classmates that we had. There were 115 of them in our class, and they were some of the brightest people that I've ever been around. We enjoyed intellectual exploration, and it was kind of cool to be smart. <clears throat> we competed with each other, but with collegiality and cooperation. We worked hard, and we pushed each other up. And as Frank said, it was we've set a bar of excellence for ourselves. It really has become the standard for me in my academic career and in life since that time. We felt a deep sense of tradition, I think, by being here. We knew the school's heritage, and we knew we were in a special place. The third thing that stands out to me that we had is the environment of the honor system. Every year before school started, Dr. Wright, who was then head of school, would give, stand up and give an eloquent speech to us about the honor system and how it had begun at the military academies and at UVA and other schools. He would talk about it was a student-run organization that would, it was very respected by the student body and successful, and people that violated the honor code were expelled from school. Students were allowed to take their exams in dormitories or wherever because they were supposed to be honorable. We were taught that a man was nothing without his honor. Integrity was more important than achievement. We wrote on every examination in, by hand and had to sign the following pledge. On my honor as a gentleman, I have neither given nor received aid on this examination. I took a little while to write and gave you a little time to pause and think, have I really done this correctly? We viewed honor as a major part of our lives, and I'm glad to see that you still do today at this school. Of honor above everything is part of your motto. As I reflect back on my years at Darlington, I would like to share with you some important lessons 
that I learned here. None of these are particularly unique, but I think what is unique about them is how well they stood the test of time for me during my life and are still with me today. The first of these, and probably foremost, is importance of hard work. Importance of hard work. Now that may seem simple to you, but I think it's more really simply profound. I came here in the sixth grade from a county elementary school and felt behind my peers. I was shy, not very confident. I definitely was a back row kid in the classroom. The situation was worsened for me by the premature death of my father the next year, which was a gut punch for me. I got reassurance from the kind and wise and gentle head of the law forms, a man named Mr. Hugh Merson. Mr. Merson told me that I could succeed if I worked hard enough and he was gonna help me. He had the teachers give me little remedial um, exercises to do. I was, went to coach classes early in the morning and I decided I was gonna work hard. The school embraced me during those early years and I responded. I heard some intimidating remarks that you probably will hear today about somebody being a lot smarter than anybody else. Heard stories about somebody having a photographic memory and I heard stories about somebody making 100 on a test without studying a lick. It was only later that I found out that these are myths. There's no such thing as a photographic memory and there is such a thing as closeted studiers. Concepts of talent versus hard work have been studied many times, and in every case, talent, hard work wins out. There's a phrase, hard work beats out talent till talent decides to work hard. It was interesting to me to watch the recent Olympics in Tokyo that I guess you did, and every time they interviewed the winners, they, all they talked about was how hard they had worked to get where they are. My further educational experience taught me that successful people work harder than their peers, and it pays off for them. I left Darlington knowing that I could do pretty well anything I wanted to do as long as I would work hard enough at it. I had this intellectual self-confidence to make this work and I was very grateful for it. The importance of hard work. The second lesson that I learned here is surrounding yourself with the right people. Surround yourself with the right people. Who are the right people? I contend there are people that are better at anything that you value, whether it's athletics, intellectual pursuits, artistic endeavors, whatever. I think there's a natural tendency in all of us to appear to be the best we can. And sometimes we surround ourselves with people that are less, uh, less uh, successful than we in order to make ourselves look better. I, I, I encourage you to surround yourself with people that are better than you. You will enrich your lives by being with others who excel. And pay attention from them. Don't be threatened by them. Learn from them. My peers at Darlington elevated my game for sure. The third lesson that I learned here is that character matters. <clears throat> character matters. I mentioned the honor system was a basis for our moral compass here. 
Those of you that are on the honor council know difficulty it is in getting to the truth of the situation sometimes. And I found in the years later after I left the school, the difference between right and wrong can sometimes be very subtle initially. But I noticed that I would get a sense that something was amiss whenever I was uncertain about potential wrongdoing. I urge you to pay attention to that feeling, that internal tension that you may feel whenever your intellectual or financial integrity are at stake in the future. No one to walk away when something doesn't feel right. Stories of corporate and individual corruption abound today. Time will not allow me to tell you the stories that I've witnessed in the medical profession during my years of corruption. Stay alert to those around you and their actions. Character matters. The fourth lesson that I learned here at Darlington is the importance of friendships. Friendships are formed here with some of the most, most poignant and deep friendships that I've had in my life. Some of them are here today. The commonality of our experience here formed a bond that lasted a lifetime. I learned that friendships require energy. You don't just take, you give. Sometimes you take, sometimes you give. Your Darlington experience also may be an avenue for you to connect with future Darlington alums in what we call networking. Networking through the school may be very helpful for you in the future. You can look no further than the Darlington Connects program that Ms. Lipvisit, that the alumni, excuse me, the council has set up, which allows present students to connect with alums in different careers for mentorship. Someone may take an opportunity on in the future for a job or whatever, simply because you're a Darlington alum. Friendships also form the basis for team building. I know very few individuals that have been successful in life that do not have the ability to form a supportive and committed team around them. Friendships matter. The fifth lesson I would leave with you that I learned at Darlington is the importance of service to others. Service to others. We were taught, as you are, that a Darlington student has an has a obligation for service to others. And that that service should be done with humility and with no expectation of recognition. I was exposed to a quotation from the philosopher Albert Schweitzer that said, the only ones among you who will be happy are those who have learned how to serve. Service beyond self is part of the Darlington motto and became part of my life. About 45 years of medical practice and service of the sick was enormously rewarding to me. And my years of service to Darlington are equally gratifying. I, along with many, many, many others, have worked to help this place grow and its physical footprint, to expand its programs with focus on multiculturalism, multinationality, and inclusivity. So that the student body today is from now 23 states and 24 countries around the world, from places like China, Korea, Vietnam, South Africa, Europe, South America, amongst others. And the last lesson that I've learned is importance of faith. 
yours and your family's faith traditions will be critical for you in the future. There will be a time when technology will fail you despite your obvious expertise with it now. <clears throat> there will be a time when science will fail you to provide answers to your questions. And there will be a time when medicine will be unable to cure you. Without a foundation of faith and a power higher than you, you will struggle to make sense of it all and to find guidance and peace, importance of faith. Thank you for listening to my darlings' story. You two are on a special journey at this special place. You are creating your own Darlington journey. The faculty here cares for you ever bit as much as those men did for us years ago. And the values today taught at this school, the same values that were taught to us back in the 50s and 60s. Years from now, if you are like most of our alums, you will look back and say, you know, Darlington really did a great thing for me, and I really appreciate what it did. Uh, I ask you to do three things when you have that aha moment. The first is to thank your teachers and your coaches. Your success and the gratitude for their role in it is the gasoline that drives their engine. It's why they're here. The second thing I would ask you to do is to thank your parents for the sacrifice for sending you here. Many of them struggled, struggled mightily to provide this opportunity for you. A previous headmaster used to say at every graduation, quote, only when you have your own children will you begin to understand what your parents did for you by sending you here, unquote. And the third thing I would like for you to do is to pay your appreciation forward. All the buildings and facilities and scholarships that you've enjoyed here were gifts, gifts given by grateful alums, loving alums who donated to the school to assure its availability for the future generations. As a Darlington alum, you will bear that responsibility as well. You'll bear responsibility to pay back to the school. Darlington will need you, your time, your talent, and your treasure. <clears throat> I would like to close with a quotation that I think sums this up very well from Maya Angelou, the African-American poet who actually was here 10 years ago, shortly before her death in 19, uh, 2013. It's called Cast Your Bread Upon the Waters. And I quote, when we cast our bread upon the waters, we can presume that someone downstream whose face we will never know will benefit from our action, as we who are downstream from others will profit from the grantor's gift. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for this opportunity. And thank you again, Robert, for this, this wonderful award. The Darlington Podcast, a production of Darlington School in Rome, Georgia, is a collaboration between the communication, advancement, and IT teams, and the intro music is student-produced. See show notes and hear more episodes at www.darlingtonschool.org podcast.